0: Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. It can be found in your pew Bibles on page 881. Please hear the Word of God. This passage is entitled, Judas Agrees to Betray Jesus. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This morning, we need to, uh, in this week, we need to pray for uh, Robert Gardner and his family. Uh, he is on his way this morning. Their family is on their way this morning to his mother's funeral, and then uh, we uh, also need to pray uh, for... Ron Turner and, and his family, as uh, his mother has has also passed away. The Gardeners and the Turners this morning. Let's remember them in our prayers. Last week it was Mother's Day, and as Tyler told you, we did not think that preaching a message on Judas would be quite a. It, it would not be appropriate. For Mother's Day, so we're returning to that. He went on with the Lord's Supper, and uh, that is the second part of uh, chapter Luke chapter twenty-two. If you're visiting, we're in a study. We've been a two-year study of the Gospel according to Luke. We've gone line by line, verse by verse. What a good time uh, we have had! We have come now to that crucial time, just before the cross. This has been the purpose. This has been the aim of the Son of God and Son of Man since the Incarnation, since before the Incarnation. Uh, and we've come to this crucial, crucial time. Uh, but in this morning, it is a dark passage, but there's a powerful, powerful message for all of us here this morning as we look at the man, Judas, in Luke 22:1 1 through 6. Before we do that, let's ask Jesus who is there, who's here this morning, Let's ask him to speak to us and teach us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come as priests this morning. And it it may seem just like an ordinary thing, but prayer never is. Because our prayers, Father, go before you and you are almighty. And you are omniscient. And you do care for your people. Our Father, we pray that you would be with the Gardner family this morning, the whole family, those that we don't know. We pray that you would bless them during this time. We pray that you would bless Robert especially, that that he would just be a real light in this situation, a light in the darkness. We pray, Father, for comfort. We pray for Ron Turner and his family as they gather. We pray that this will be a time of tremendous blessing, that you will use this. You know these families and you know their needs and their spiritual needs or physical needs. We pray that this would be a time of blessing for these families. We pray for Jim Bennington, Father. We pray that you would provide a place for him very quickly, where he'll be safe, where he'll have someone around him twenty-four seven. We pray for Billy Griggs. You will bless him during this specific time, that that father, you will teach him to look ahead with anticipation and joy. Our father, we remember Tuli Tulianis this morning. We pray that you would bring comfort and blessing. And healing to her life. calls her above all to be that light. To be a consternation, father, to Satan. Because even now, uh, she lives out her love for Jesus Christ. Her father... All of us are in need of your word this morning. Every person here. We pray in these next few minutes that we would hear your voice in our hearts. Speak to us. Make it plain. Change us, Father, all of us. Maybe some of us for the first time, but, but Father, continue to change or change us this morning. In the very core of our being, John Sartell cannot speak that way. But we've heard you. And we know your voice. And so, Father, once more, we're your children coming to you and say, Father, teach us. Teach us. In and for the glory of Christ. Amen. Amen. How could Judas do that? As we begin to understand that question, there's a prior question we need to ask. Why did the chief priests, why did the scribes, why did the members of the Sanhedrin need Judas anyway? Couldn't they simply arrest Jesus? They already had all the evidence they needed. They themselves had heard him speak blasphemy, blasphemy in their mind because he was claiming to be God over and over again. They had heard it with their own ears. So why did they need Judas? Look at our text. Look at verse 2. And the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to put him to death. Not just arrest him, put him to death for they feared the people. What does that mean? They were not seeking to put him to death because they feared the people. That wasn't the reason. Well, that verse is saying they just couldn't go out and arrest Jesus in public because he was the most well-known, most loved person in all of Israel at that time. The people loved him. They had to develop a plan that would allow them to take Jesus when he was alone, when he was by himself. You've seen it in, in movies. When, when, when do dictatorships, when does the KBG, when, when does it, when does it, when did they arrest people, especially popular people? At midnight, at two, they come to the house at midnight, two in the morning, three in the morning, their neighbors wake up the next morning, they're gone. They're out. It was not, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't text in first century Jerusalem. didn't have Instagram that could keep up with everybody. Look, look over here. Somebody's here. this person's here, this person. They couldn't do that. Look at Matthew 26, 4 and 5 as Matthew talks about this. And plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth, find him alone by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Look at John eleven fifty seven. 57. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. They put the word out on the street. Someone tell us where Jesus is when he's not in the temple. We'll pay you to do that. Enter Judas. Look now, Luke. 22, 3, and 5. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the 12. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray them. They were glad and agreed to give him money. Judas took the initiative in this issue. They did not approach him personally. He came to them. The word was out on the street, help us find Jesus when he's alone. We'll pay for it. And then Judas acted upon that. Judas approached them. But the, we come back, how could Judas do that? Look at Matthew 26:14 through 15. Then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. Judas knew where Jesus was. He knew that, that for instance, that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives a lot with the disciples and that he would be alone there many evenings with the disciples But he wanted money. Why did Judas do this? This ought to be the great concern to us. Why? Because he wasn't out there in the world. He wasn't one of the Romans. He wasn't a member of the Sanhedrin. He was one of the inner core. He was one of the twelve He was a disciple. We're here this morning claiming that we're disciples. In the end, what happened? He turned on Jesus. One of the 12. You've got to look at this and say, could I do that? Could my name be Judas? Goethe. The poet, the writer, statesman, writer of, of Faust made this comment, made this quotation. And I keep it where I can see it often. There is no crime of which I consider myself to be incapable. We need to look at this. One of the 12, one of the 12 sold him out. How did it come to this? Well, First, I want you to see as we begin to answer that question that first Judas resisted Jesus' revelations about his sin. Judas resisted Jesus' revelations about his sin. Over and over again in the Gospels, you'll see Jesus confront his disciples about their sins over and over again. We could spend the next few Sundays just going through and picking out those places. Look at John 6, 67. The situation is this. Jesus has been saying some hard words there in John chapter 6. And and some people that had been following him walked away and said, no, 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 no. We cannot follow this man who teaches like this. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? Now think about this for a minute. The 12 were standing there and he looked at him. There was only 12. He said, one of you is a devil. You think Judas knew that Jesus was speaking about him? That was, he was confronting at that point. He was confronting Judas. Remember, as as they left the upper room, Peter swore, he said, I'll follow you to the end. I'll die with you. Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, before this dawn, Tomorrow morning, before the sun comes up tomorrow morning, you will swear three times that you don't even know me. He's confronting Peter about his sin. But to understand what happened with Judas. You must understand what is said in Matthew 26, 6 through 14. And it's on your scripture sheet, but look at me for a minute. This is something that took place days before. But where does Matthew place it? He places the story right before he speaks of Judas going to the members of the Sanhedrin and betraying Jesus. This is what comes immediately before. So look at it in that light. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster of very expensive ointment and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table and when the disciples saw it they were indignant why this waste for this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor but jesus aware of this said to them why do you trouble the woman for she has done a beautiful thing to me you will always have the poor with you but you will not always have me in pouring this ointment on my body she has done it to prepare me for burial truly i say to you Wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in her memory. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest. You see it? Matthew linked the two together. The story of what happened in Bethany when Jesus rebuked the disciples, when they said, hey, this is a big waste. This, This money should have gone into the general fund. Do you know who the disciple was that objected? John tells us in John 12, 4 through 6, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said, He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus had said, one of the twelve would betray me. Jesus confronted the selfishness and thievery of Judas at Bethany. And probably had many other times. And rather than confess, rather than, than repent, Judas turned on Jesus. He revolted against Jesus exposing his sin. Matthew knew exactly why Judas went to the Sanhedrin. He kept the common purse for the disciples. There was always money in it. He always, he thought nothing of using it for his own ends. That's no great evil. That's not betraying Jesus. All of us have stolen. There's not a person in this room that hasn't stolen. Stolen time from others. Stolen reputations. Stolen from God, not giving to him what belongs to him. Stealing from other people. If we... If we understand our own souls as we read this, we can understand Judas. He could have gone to Jesus along the way and said, Jesus, I've been wrong and you know it. You've confronted me. Please forgive me. We don't like to admit our sins. We say easy. If I had asked you coming in, if I'd ask you, are you a sinner? Every person in this room would say, Absolutely. In this church, we understand we're not basically good people. But if I had said to you, coming in the door, are you a thief? You know better than that, John. I'm not a thief. What if Jesus said, yes, you are? What would you tell him? It's hard for us to say, I'm an adulterer. It's hard for us to say, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a drug addict. What, what's, hard, what's, what's the hardest thing for an alcoholic? Every book I've ever read is for the alcoholic to say, you know what, I'm an alcoholic. That's the hardest thing. I don't quote Mother Teresa very often, but this is one of my favorite quotes in all the world. I keep it again where I can see it. Don't get upset when people say bad things about you. Just think of what they could say. This is serious. Realizing this, this is basic. Realizing that about ourselves. Philip Yancey is a well-known, powerful Christian writer in our day. He speaks of visiting with a minister that he knew, personally knew. And this minister had been a part of the allied force uh, that arrived at a concentration camp. The first allied force that arrived at a concentration camp in Germany. And he had been right there. And Yancey was just utterly fascinated. He said, tell me about that. And he began to speak about the horror of those camps and, and, and and what they saw, the death, and the smell, and and the German officers that oversaw the horror. He said that these German wardens were systematically taken to headquarters for interrogation. One day there were six officers that were to be taken to headquarters. And there was a a group of soldiers there, and they said, we need someone to take these men to headquarters. And A man named Chuck said, I'll do it. He picked up his machine gun, and he marched them off. About five minutes passed. They were out of sight, and they heard a machine gun fire. In a few minutes, Chuck came back. He said, you know, all six of those men tried to escape, and I had to shoot them. Everyone, the the man said, the minister said, everyone standing there knew what had happened. And you do too. And all of us are thinking, you know what? I might have done the same thing. The minister told Yancey, I became a Christian that day. He said, I knew the gospel, but I'd always refused. He said, that day I became a Christian. And started my journey toward the ministry. Why was he converted? Because he suddenly saw the depravity on his own heart. The potential for depravity. He knew that he could have done the same thing that Chuck did. He even pushed it farther and said, you know... If I had been raised like one of those men in in the hate and anger of Nazi Germany, if I had been raised with a hatred for the Jews, maybe the same hate that gunned down those six men would have been, would have caused me to gas unarmed Jews. You look at Judas, you can, there's a powerful message here for us. Judas resisted Jesus' revelations about his own sin. Jesus told him, and he wouldn't listen. Secondly, we can understand this as we understand that Judas had become disillusioned with Jesus. He had totally become disillusioned with him. Look at verse 31. After taking the twelve, he said to them, Luke 18, 31, We are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Now, this was not only Judas, but all the disciples were shocked. They couldn't believe this. They didn't believe this right up to the end. They refused to believe it. Messiahs don't die on the cross. The Jewish Messiah was to go to Jerusalem in that day, go to Jerusalem, come to power and it was very believable this man could speak and blind people saw and deaf people heard. The whole nation loved him. He could speak certainly and he'd even said in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? Peter, put up your sword. Why don't you take a whack at that guy? Don't, don't you know I could say a word? Don't you know that 12 legions of angels could just wipe out the whole Roman Empire right now? That was their picture of what should happen. Yes, get rid of the Romans. Bring back the glory days of Israel, the Davidic days of Israel. That's what Judas, Judas wanted Jesus to be his Messiah as long as Jesus, as long as Jesus did what Judas wanted him to. Put yourself in Judas' place. He wanted the money. A lot more than 30 pieces of silver. Just think he was one of the 12. If this man is Messiah and he becomes greater than Caesar and Rome, just think of what I'll be. Just think of the wealth I'll have. Just think of the power I'll have. Jesus loved it. When Jesus was healing the sick and thousands were following. He was one of the inner circle, one of the chosen few. There was glory for Judas. A prosperous future for Judas. But what glory is there in the shame and degradation of the crucifixion? It was an embittered and cynical Jesus. That went to the Sanhedrin. A man who wants to call himself Messiah, wants to die, I might as well profit from it. Folks, Jesus will always disappoint you. There'll always be some. Jesus will disappoint you. Not always, but he will disappoint you. Not because he's weak, not because. He lacks power. He's omnipotent. But sometimes he will lead you where you do not want to go. And you realize in your prayers, you're, the, you know what, I'm not getting what I want. What do you say in those times? When heaven, when the when the heavens seemed like brass, what do you do? Judas simply said, if you will not be the Messiah I want you to be, then I'll not be your disciple. Probably most of us have seen people walk away from the faith. I've seen people say that exact thing, heard them say that exact thing. Right now, is, is Jesus doing what you want him to do? That's when you discover whether you have created an idol and called it Jesus or whether you're following the real Jesus because of the real Jesus. Our wants, our dreams, always tainted with faith, always tainted with sin, darkness. Jesus' will is perfect. Judas resisted Jesus' revelations about his sin. Judas had become disillusioned with Jesus. This one is hard. Judas' descent into betrayal was no sudden thing. It was no sudden degradation. This descent, this, this betrayal that he descended so far, it wasn't a, a sudden thing. In Luke twenty-two forty-seven, 47, we read, While he was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading him. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? That's hard. Imagine you're Judas. The man I kiss will be the Messiah, will be the man you want to arrest. And he gets up close to Jesus and Jesus looks him right in the eye. You really going to kiss me to betray me? Folks, he would not have done that during the first year of Jesus' ministry. This was a result of years of avarice, years of coveting, years of loving money. You don't understand if you think Judas would have done this 3 years earlier. Jesus would not have or, or Judas would not have betrayed Jesus when they first met. The Pharisees had been there for a long time. Opportunities had been there, but he had not taken those opportunities. He had been satisfied to skim from the fund. He started with pilfering, but the sin grew until Judas became a man and sold out a friend for money. What did God say to Cain? What's that scripture? Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. What was God saying? Sin is not just an action that we take. Sin or not, it's not just words that we speak. Sin is a power in our souls. That's why there must be a transformation by the Holy Spirit. That's why there's a need for regeneration. A need for transformation. Because sin is a power in our souls. It is a spiritual power loose in our world. Sin controls the mind with propaganda. It seduces our emotions. It weakens the will. It finally enslaves us. In this world, either we are growing in our sanctification in Christ or we're growing in our desecration in sin. One of those two things. It's true for culture. It's not only true in our personal lives. Just look at our culture today. It's the same thing. You know what we do with it? It's the neatest thing. Remember Daniel Patrick Monahan, the, the, the senator from New York? He wrote that powerful article back in 2002 on defining deviancy down. And, and he said the way that we're handling corruption in this day since the 1960s is we look we look at the deviancy, we look at the sin. We look at the corruption, and we just make it okay. We circle it and say, well, this is the new normal. How many times have you heard, why do we have that word in our culture today? This is the new normal. We're just defining deviancy down. In Isaiah's day, they said, the way they said defining deviancy down, they said, the the evil we call good. And actually the good we call evil. I don't know where I read this the first time. But it's so true. Sin will take you farther than you ever thought you would stray. Sin will leave you so lost you'll never, you think you'll never find your way. Sin will keep you longer than you ever thought you would stay. And sin will cost you more than you thought you would ever pay. Judas resisted the revelations that Jesus made about his sin. Judas had become disillusioned with Jesus. Thirdly, Judas' descent to betrayal was no sudden degradation. And finally, and this is the worst part. And if you haven't heard anything to this point, listen to this. Judas did not come to Jesus with his remorse. Look at Matthew 27, three through five. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. Why wasn't Judas saved. He showed remorse, didn't he? One last scripture. Circle it. Listen to 2 Corinthians 17. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. That's a perfect description of Judas. He had a worldly sorrow. He could sue his sin. He said, I shouldn't have done that. Here, you can have your silver. He threw it down. What did he do? He went and hanged himself. He committed suicide to punish himself. That, in that suicide, he was saying, This is what I deserve. I'm he was trying to make amends. It was a, in a morbid sort of way. He was trying to save himself. The simplest thing in the world. Would have been to go to, to to go to Jesus and say I, I, I sinned. Peter went out that same day, that same evening. Peter swears, swears three times. I don't even know the damn man. I don't even know him. I don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus was standing right there in sight. We read, Peter went out and wept bitterly. But a few days later, he was walking on a beach in Galilee with Jesus. And Jesus turned and looked at him and said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Peter and Judas, both were in the night. Both were despairing. One looked to Jesus for grace. That's our message. It's not, you've got to do better. Folks, we'll be tainted with sin until Jesus returns and we go home to glory. That's when the change will come, the biggest change. Change is taking place now. But in the end, at the end of the day, we're still sinners. And we just have to going back. Relying upon the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why He came. That's the irony of it. Judas, I came to die. I came to die for sinners, Judas. Our hymn is most fitting. I got, I chose this hymn in the middle of the week, and this whole service has fit together. And uh, maybe you thought, those of you that remembered from last week, well, we sang Amazing Grace last week. Tyler sent me a message when I sent out the material for the bulletin. And I didn't see it till yesterday, and the bulletin had already been, print, been printed, but I told Tyler, I said, Tyler, it wouldn't have made any difference. We were still going to sing Amazing Grace.